Hello and welcome to Dragon Talk. My name is Greg Tito. I am here for the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm here by myself today because Shelly uh, Moon had to go uh, do a very important meeting very important people uh but that's okay because i really want to talk to uh frederick tremblay from tales from candlekeep from beatcom studios he's making the tales from candlekeep colon tomb of annihilation game uh which is out on steam right now uh and uh it's pretty exciting i can't wait to talk to him and pick his brain uh, we hung out a little bit at hascon in providence rhode island in person in the flesh uh and uh we are going to talk more about the game itself and uh how it's an adaptation of the board game and a fun single-player kind of tactical RPG... Well, not really an RPG, more of like a tactical board game uh, uh, D&D experience uh, you can play by yourself. It's a lot of fun. Lots of good rate role, uh, replay ability uh, going on there. And I want to ask him about strategy because it's actually a little bit tough uh, when you get started, uh, which I kind of I kind of take. I think that works. It get, progresses to being a challenge right away. It's awesome. Uh, but before that, I'm going to get to some notes and announcements before jumping right into calling... Uh, no, sorry, we're going to jump into a segment... Then we're going to jump into calling Mr. Frederick Tremblay. Um, so, uh, Tomb of Annihilations is out. It's in uh, game stores everywhere. It's on D&D Beyond, Roll20. It's on Fantasy Grounds. Jump in and start playing. There's lots of other interesting accessories and or ways that you can play uh, this storyline. Uh, one of the first ones to come out was this summer uh, in July on the PC came Neverwinter Tomb of Annihilation. There is an amazing amount of uh, content there. You can go to Port Nine Zaru in the action MMO made by Perfect World and Cryptic Studios. You can also uh, soon, those of you, maybe even when you're listening to this in podcast world, it'll be out already. There's a new expansion coming for uh, Neverwinter called, uh, I believe it's called Sword of Chult, um, which uh, is the continues the story of what's happening in the jungles of Chult in Neverwinter. Really good stuff going on there. If you want to find out more, go to playneverwinter.com. Com. Uh, you can also jump into uh, t- uh, Tomb of Annihilation uh, stuff by wearing uh, this amazing hoodie. Uh, yes, but then also uh, these accessories here. So there's the uh, Gale Force 9 has made the Tomb of Annihilation DMs screen, uh, which has a bunch of art on it that was made uh, for the campaign as well as amazing uh, – I keep on using the word amazing um, – Charts on the inside that are good for uh, people uh, going through Chult. So there's uh, stuff on traveling in Chult, Trevor, treasure drops, treasure tables, Port Nye and Zaru encounters, as well as uh, almost two full panels on uh, wilderness encounters. And uh, uh, my favorite thing on here that I'll probably be using a lot is the weather uh, die roll here. So you can roll 1d20 and it tells you the temperature, how strong the winds are, and what the precipitation is. I love stuff like that, especially in sandbox things, uh, adventures, because, uh, you know, nothing really sells the realness of the simulation of Dungeons & Dragons more than random weather uh, attacking and destroying your party. It's good stuff. Uh, there's also a bunch of Tomb of Annihilation minis that you can get from uh, our friends at WizKids as well as uh, new and en- uh, uh, I'm going to reach over and get these. I think they're Dungeon Tiles Reincarnated. Wait, no. Yes. No, the Adventure Grid. That's right. Uh, the Adventure Grid is a, uh, a way to bring... Uh, instead of the rolled up mats or something like that, you can bring a grid uh, that is cardboard quality 
uh, tabletop board game kind of uh, a board. Uh, it's wet and dry erased. You can put it down. There's dungeon kind of uh, themed uh, coloring and tiles on one side and wilderness themed coloring on the other side. Great addition. You can kind of just throw it in your bag. It's, uh, it's, it actually works out really great. Uh, I've been using it a bunch. Um, also, Extra Life may or may not have already been gone by the time you listen to this in podcast form, but that doesn't mean you can't still donate to our cause in raising money for Seattle Children's Hospitals and children's hospitals across the country. Uh, Extra Life, we've been doing for the last few years, is a uh, promotion where people play games on Twitch uh, for a set amount of time, usually 24 hours. Uh, Magic the Gathering just did theirs uh, this most uh, recent, uh, what was that, uh, October 9th? What day is it today? I don't know. 13th. 13th. So, yeah, that was October 9th, right? Wait, what day is it today? Today's the 16th? We did it on the 13th. We did it on the 13th. I'm very good at dates, calendars, and time, as you must know from listening to this podcast. Um, but it is a all about raising that kind of money. You can donate to our individual pages as well as to the group as a whole. If you want to start and run and stream things on November 4th, you can uh, do it under the auspices of the Wizards of the Coast Super Group as well as the Dungeons & Dragons group. And as we uh, uh, get more and more total donations to that group, we'll unlock more and more content from Xanathar's Guide to Everything that is coming out on November 10th in game stores. There's a special alternate cover you can get there as well as uh, everywhere on November 21st. if you don't know about Xanathar's Guide to Everything, let me tell you about that. It is a new source book coming from Dungeons & Dragons that has a whole bunch of content to add to your game. New subclasses, new spells, new uh, items, new things Dungeon Masters can throw at you. It's a lot of great stuff. Um, uh, Todd Kenrick over at D&D Beyond has been doing videos on all of the subclasses uh, from Mike Merles and Jeremy Crawford talking about them. Uh, I suggest if you're interested to find out what's kind of in there to go uh, take a gander at that. Uh, that's a D&D Beyond on Twitter uh, or dndbeyond.com uh, to find out all that uh, information on there. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun stuff and there will be more coming soon. I am Timeless Tito. That is true, old book smell. Uh, that is me. I, I am not ruled by silly things like time or energy. Uh, I, I am I'm a, a lord of time. No, that's not true. Uh, there is also a really cool thing I want to tell you about, uh, which is Han Cholo Jewelry. Uh, we have a, a license with them. They're making a Claw of Tiamat pendant, a D&D ampersand pendant, as well as a Nine Lives Steeler Cuff uh, and a Beholder pendant, which is super, very cool. Um, if you're interested in a kind of high-end jewelry that uh, touts your Dungeons and Dragons pride, uh, go to handcholo.com and you can find it under the officially licensed tab. Uh, there's also a retro style D&D snapback trucker hat uh, available on boxlunch.com. Uh, I'm not uh, crazy about the trucker hat fed as well as the snapback kind of flat brim hats. I'm much more of a like curve your hat uh, type guy, like a curve your enthusiasm, but a curve your hat type guy. Um, but I know a lot of folks like them, and they're very actually really cool. I really like the styling as well as the Dungeons & Dragons logo on them. Makes it super interesting for all you folks out there. And as we know from our last uh, uh, interview, uh, there's a lot of young folks who like the Dungeons & the Dragons. 
out there in the world, and we want more young folks doing it. Now I just sound like a crazy person, so I'm going to stop talking about that and tell you more about Force Gray, Lost City of Omu, uh, is coming up tonight. Uh, if those of you listening on, on Twitch, it'll be uh, around 5, 5.15 or so. We'll be doing episode 12, a 30-minute episode, I'm sorry, a 50-minute episode, 5-0, 52, 52 minutes I'm getting the hand signals from, from Sean Mayofsky, really professional hand signals <laughs> with that. Now, thumbs up, we're in the air. We're doing devil horns. Um, that was going to come. We're going to con- c- conclude that storyline a bit with a live show in Brooklyn, New York, November 18th, selling tickets to go see Joe Manganello, Deborah Ann Wall, Utkarsh Ambudkar, Dylan Sprouse, a mystery addition to the party as well as Dungeon Mastered by Matthew Mercer. Uh, That is going to be going on, again, November 18th. It'll be broadcast here on the Twitch channel starting around 3 p.m. Eastern time. But if you're in the New York area, uh, I suggest you check out uh, getting it. We we don't exactly have tickets for sale quite just yet. By the time you listen to this in podcast form, it will be uh, available, and you can get all the information at DungeonsAndDragons.com about that, as well as on Twitter at Watsy underscore DND. Actually, I guess it's Wizards underscore DND is the is the Twitter page. All right. Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms is out on early access on Steam right now, too. Uh, you can find out any news about what's going on there at Idol Champions. Uh, they just concluded their High Harvest Tide event uh, on October 9th, and we're doing lots more of events like that where you can get a whole bunch of new and fun and interesting stuff. Um, you could have been, uh, unlocked a new champion, uh, Stokey, uh, but I'm mentioning this right next to Force Grey because you can also get all the characters in Force Grey, uh, Lost City of Omu, in uh, Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms, which we think is kind of awesome. You can play as Arkin the Cruel, who recently just stole the hand of Vecman out from underneath Vox Machina's uh, machinations. You can play as um, uh, Dylan Sprouse's character, who is Tyrell Tall Guy. Uh, you can play as Hitch. You can play if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. Uh, and, of course, we have lots of other fun, amazing stuff happening on uh, the Dungeons & Dragons Twitch channel in general. We have 50 hours, five zero hours of original programming per week happening right now on the Dungeons & Dragons channel. You should check it out. You can subscribe uh, to that channel. It's only four ninety nine a month. You get access to uh, custom emotes. There's my face on there. There's Chris Perkins' face on there. There's D20s. There's Critical Fails. There's Green Flames. Lots of fun stuff that you can use on any channel on Twitch. Uh, you don't have to watch ads uh, here on Twitch. And you get some fun badges if you're a, a longtime subscriber, which is, uh, I, I think, really what everyone here cares about is those badges. Uh, and you should get more of them. Uh, I don't want to go through all the schedule right now, but there's a lot of fun things that have been added to it, such as Destiny and Doom uh, with Jack and Mika from Rooster Teeth and Friends. Uh, that's where Lauren Urban, Oboe Crazy, uh, which you might know from the uh, Twitch here, uh, she is dungeon mastering for a group uh, which includes Mika Burton, Dante Bosco, Kraken, and Jack Patello. Very fun. Uh, it's called Destiny and Doom. That's 3 p.m. on Thursdays. Uh, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Thursdays. Uh, you can also check out Roll20 Presents Tomb of Annihilation with uh, Dungeon Master Adam Coble. Uh, that's 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific time on Fridays. And, of course, Encounter Roleplay, uh, Learn by Play with Dungeon Master Will Jones, Sidney Shields, Jay Tallsquall, Josh Mann, and Louise Moore. And uh, that is where you can find out more about how to Dungeon Master because Will stops the action and talks directly to you to let you know about the decisions that he made, what's he thinking about doing for the next encounter, and so on and so forth. So you can actually kind of get into the head of the Dungeon Master as the game is happening, which I think is really cool. We just recorded an interview uh, with Will Jones and Sidney Shields, 
which uh, you're not going to be able to listen uh, to right now, but you should go find it. Uh, it's in the uh, collections page for twitch.tv slash dnd, uh, or maybe it was the previous episode that you listened to already on this podcast. I don't know, because I don't understand time and how it works. Does it go forward? Does it go backwards? Do you just jump in the middle? I don't know. Maybe I'm lost in time. Maybe I'm uh, uh, like Slaughterhouse-Five guy, uh, and I've just got unstuck in time. I think that's what's happening. Uh, so in order to save myself, I think I'm just going to throw it to a segment. We're going to talk to uh, Chris Perkins and Matt Cernit about some fun Dungeons & Dragons lore right about now. Make some bings, maybe some bongs. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know, where we get into Dungeons & Dragons lore from the Forgotten Realms, or in general, and uh, tell you all about it so that you can use it in your game or just for your edutainment, as I like to call it. Uh, I am joined by uh, Mr. Matt Cernit. Hello. I am Greg Tito. I forgot to mention that part, but that's less important. Nobody cares about me. Uh, More importantly, today we're going to talk about lycanthropes. Werewolves, were tigers, yes. were bears, were bats. Where lots of things. Where's my car? Yeah. So uh where creatures like anthropes go all the way back. All the way back. All the way back to chainmail. They were in chainmail? They were in chainmail. No. So you could get uh one of your army units could be a werebear or a werewolf, and it would bring animals along with it of its type. And that could that was one of your army units in chainmail. So they they go way back to the very origins of the. For those of you who don't know, chainmail was the uh, war game that was designed by Gary Gygax as the precursor to designing Dungeons and Dragons with Dave Arneson. Yeah. So it was born out of those old war gaming things, but it had a lot of fantasy tropes in it, Uh, and uh, that's interesting. Yeah. You could have a werebear. Werebear and werewolf. Yep. And and so then in uh, the first edition mo- monster manual, the the sort of pantheon is expanded to were-boar, were-rat, and were-tiger. All of those are present. In the first monster manual. Were-tigers were in the yep. first monster manual. Yep, they're right there. Interesting. And so the funny thing is that there is, uh, let's see, it's, it's a dragon article. It's like dragon 14, like issue 14. Number 14. Yeah. And uh, it's about sort of lycanthropes and how to handle them in the game and the rules for using them and so on and so forth. And it's written in this very convoluted fashions. Um, but the there's a funny thing where it says uh, that, you know, hey, other were types. Other cultures have were eagles, sharks, uh, <laughs> were <Sharks. laughs> hyenas. Uh, fairy tales have skin-changing swans and seals. Horror movies have produced were-apes and even were-snakes. And then it mentions Anthony, uh, let's see, it's Boucher's uh, The Complete Werewolf, uh, mentioned a man who was a were-dinosaur. Okay. Were-dinosaur? So, I think with the exception of the were-eagle, all those things are already dainty <laughs> at some point. <laughs> like, this article basically said... You know, you probably shouldn't do this because the, the last sentence of the paragraph is obviously this would rapidly get out of hand if not rigidly controlled. It rapidly got out of hand. <laughs> it escalated quickly. Yes, it really did. So, uh, second edition has uh, where apes, gorillas. Uh, it has where dragons. It has where rats and snakes, and uh, it has um, where badgers, where moles. Where moles? Where moles? Uh, he was like, man, I want to fight a mole. 
that's also a dude. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like where where ravens, of course. Uh, and yeah, it, it got basically like where something. And there was an, an interesting. Uh, there's a set of um, Ravenloft uh, products that deal with where beasts. Um, and uh, one of them is sort of Van Richten, who's the sort of Van Helsing version in Ravenloft. Yeah. Uh, he has a series of Van Richten's guides, too. And one of them is, is Lycanthropes. And he talks about um, the different versions that he's heard of and that he's seen. And his strict rule is it's got to at least be some sort of predator slash carnivore omnivore like there's no just straight up plant eaters mm. so we don't see where horses where horses where hippos you know where giraffes where giraffes they're so cute <laughs> and i looked for, for such things and i could not find any where hippos or where horses or where giraffes. At least stat it up in yeah, an official yeah. Dungeons so, & Dragons. Yeah, that might be legit. It might be the case that there are no herbivores, strict herbivores, who are who are where anything. So. That's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. But still, there should be more restrictions on it. <laughs> um, are they all treated as diseases? Are they all treated as like this is a, a disease that you get? Yeah, it, it is sort of – I mean, there's – there's some things that are a little different. There's there's things that are jackal wares that have a sort of different origin story. And there's there's sea wolves, and sea wolves are um, they're basically wolf sharks uh, that also give you lycanthropy and turn you into a wolf shark. Um, <laughs> but but not a man. Like there, there's no there's no human part of that. You can be you. Can, I th- there might be a hybrid there. I, there's often. Like there's often the the hybrid and the animal and the full human form. Yeah. And with things like uh, sea wolves and there's another one that's escaping me at the moment. Uh, there would be the the animal form was sometimes a full on animal form. So maybe you would just go full shark. Full or, shark. You know. And then you were a wolf. Uh, no, then you were a sea wolf. Then you were a weird wolf shark what person. What is a sea wolf? It's it's a it's a like, like an, an otter. It looks like a shark with a wolf's head. And uh, I think it might have forearms. Um, and <laughs> that's like the, the doggy paddle? <laughs> With like a shark tail? <laughs> yeah, it's a shark tail, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, that, which brings to mind the sea lion, which doesn't, isn't a lycanthrope. So there's a sea wolf and the sea lion. The sea wolf is a lycanthrope. The sea lion's just a, a lion body on the, attached to a. Oh, body. which is different than the actual sea lion. Right. Which is. Species, uh, which is just like a big seal. Sea, yeah. Right, or a walrus type. Thing. Yeah, there it, are there are apparently where walruses. That's in Van, Van Richten's guide. I I haven't found a stat block for that today when I was looking, but he mentions that there are were walruses. He says he says that he's heard of them or, or encountered them. It's like away. tusk. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that this is a trope in folklore. That I mean, this is kind of like the D and D motif, right? Where like they take something that's kind of like a story that we've seen in in in, in uh, fairy tales and movies and things like that, and then just blow it up to yeah. you know three hundred percent. Yeah, and and just takes that ball and just keeps on running, like just off the field and just keeps on going, right. and going, and going. But <laughs> at the core of it is this idea that you're you're cursed with some kind of disease. It's not a curse. You 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 have a disease. It's yeah. usually from the bite of yeah. one of those creatures. It, it is it is a curse and a disease. It's sort of both. Um, it's called the curse of lycanthropy. It's treated as a disease in various editions of the game based on the rules. Um, and it does the, the the fundamentals are usually the same, which is 
that uh, there are infected versions that can um, that bite you and don't have control over their uh, transformation. They just transform whenever there's a full moon. Yeah. And then there are um, born versions that are that are like a you know that have like an infected one um, gives birth to or fathers a a child, and that is now a born version of that lycanthrope or whatever. It's not it's not infected anymore. Does so. the curse get passed down? Yeah, or and, is it is it like a and, like and an actual? It's, it's like just natural in the blood, and, th- and those those individuals can control their transformations and when they transform and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So that's the distinction: is if you were if you were a born lycanthrope, then yeah. you you have more free will. Yep, and you have more power over what I mean. You know, they, they, there's always toying with the idea that the characters that um, even born lycanthropes have to transform during the full moon and stuff like that. But in general, the idea is you have control over when you transform and thus you can kind of wolf out or bore out or, or rat <laughs> dragon out. out, as the case may be. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the were-dragon in a sec, because that seems totally broken. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I, I like the idea of were-rats and things that are, you know, that would normally not be something you would dramatize in a D&D campaign, but then all of a sudden you're bringing this like, oh, this idea of the, the characteristics of an animal uh, uh, in a, amongst a community of, you know, so like the were-rat thieves guild, for example, yeah. is one that's kind of mm-hmm. been built up a lot as like, oh, this is a trope in, in Forgotten Realms and all D&D lore. Yep. You know, and I think that's kind of interesting. Like, it's got this whole other storyline to it. But as soon as you go into the crazy things like, you know, where dragons and it's like I, I, it, it, it falls apart for me snakes where snakes yeah. i mean you already cats. have the yuan t and yeah there are actually cats jaguars and panthers and tigers and tigers and bears i don't think it's a were cougar so we're safe but <laughs> don't give them any ideas um so but there are also like full societies of where like lycanthropy is is integrated within it. Yeah, there, well in different different parts of different settings um things like that have popped up. So obviously the the were rats are are a thing. Um there's oftentimes an idea of communities of werewolves. The Forgotten Realms has a, has uh a couple um prominent communities of werewolves. Um there's one down in what's called the Wood of Sharp Teeth um, and or the Werewoods or something like that. Uh, on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's um, sort of uh, near Baldur's Gate and so on. And that's, um, that has a, a community of lycanthropes that um, stem from a, a ruler of Baldur's Gate who was a werewolf and was kicked out and went down there. And was it's like, of- I'm setting up my own shop. Right, um, and then you mentioned the Moonshay Isles also has. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a whole island kind of that has a bunch of uh, lycanthropes, mostly werewolves, on it um, that are sort of Molar worshippers, and then there's uh, also the Grey Wolf tribe of the Uthgart, who are um, mostly natural lycanthropes, uh, and some some sort of um, infected versions of them. Uh, so the natural is the one that w- was born. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and, and so you know, um, the it, there's all kinds of different reasons to play with it, the the um, different types of like campus from that way. I mean, there there are also places where there are communities of where tigers. You don't really see communities where bears because bears are thought of as more solitary, and so they mm. tend to, and it's more sort of on the model of um, the character in Lord of the Rings whose name escaped me at the moment. Um, Bjorn. Yeah, Bjorn. It's it, they're sort of modeled after Bjorn, and so they're kind of just. Off on their own, you know, gruff, yeah, and they're, they're generally good guys and stuff like that. I like honey and mead, and um, 
And I think they're, they're mead. They're mead brewers. Yeah, that makes well, sense. That's yeah. wrong. Uh, <laughs> ravens that are generally depicted as good. Um, and wait, were ravens are generally? Ravens, why yeah. are they depicted as good? I don't know. They just are. I feel like ravens are much more of like a negative, like uh-huh. you know, trope in like everything. Yeah, they're, they're good guys. They're, they're the good guys. Really, yeah, I've never yeah, heard that before. I, yeah, it's a thing. Huh? Yeah. Are they because they can fly? They can pass. They can travel a lot. Interesting. Yeah, somebody just like ravens, I think. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Somebody in the annals of D and D history was like, "Yeah, they're cool." Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they clearly don't work in this office because the <laughs> the ravens after work on a fall day yeah, just are terrifying. Constantly. It's like, where did I end up in the birds? Um, that's uh, so. Where tigers are usually associated with like jungles and things too. Is that correct? Yeah, of course. Because I mean, the tiger it's a natural habitat yeah. of where they are. I mean. Obviously, not all tigers live in the jungle. A lot of them, you know, in, in China and stuff like that are in alpine environments and so on. So, mm. like, it's kind of weird that we associate them in, in D&D with just with jungles. But, um, you know, there's kind of that a typical of the 80s, uh, you know, lions, tigers, elephants, giraffes. All these things live in a jungle, right? Of course. Right. And it's like, no, actually. <laughs> Biodiversity, different things, whatever. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> but they get associated with that uh, yeah. as, as being a part of their, their, their shtick. Uh, yeah. So what if you were going to make a, a, a campaign or, or, or set it somewhere in those places you located in the Forgotten Realms, like what's, what's the tenet of, of those those stories uh, about lycanthropes. Oh, so um, my are off- they trying to get healed? Are they the in my mind um, the the moonshades, for example, is yeah, have you seen a Thirteenth Warrior? Uh, I'm aware of it. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't actually seen okay. it. I know. Get on. I know. It's on the list. Oh, it's so good. It's like a and d movie, but without magic. Um, and Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Uh, so uh, the. Uh, the sort of bad guys in that I think of is uh, very much like the the werefolk on um, the one island of the moon chase. Uh, they they are not friendly with outsiders and they're going to eat you. Mm. Um, and they're pretty savage and so on and so forth. Um, the Uthgart are um, more civilized in the sense that they um, you know can are more capable, I guess, of talking and walking and so on. But um, they have long had that um, sort of built into their society that they're like anthropes and so on. So they're also just behaving as wolf packs and so on. And um, and they are inclined to uh, not let anyone live. So they don't like to actually infect people. So th- if you encounter the Uthgart, the Grey Wolf Uthgart, they're, they're inclined to just kill you dead if they f- have a fight with you. Um, or not, you know, not bite you because they can just stab you with things. Uh, so, and you know. is it because they, they they find it sacred? They don't yes, want they don't yeah. want other. They don't want to sort of pass on the gift of Uthgar, their sort of god, um, ultimate god, and, mm. and their their totem, which is the wolf. And so they don't want to pass on that gift um, to others right. uh, who are unworthy of it. So they go and they if they accidentally infect someone, they try and hunt them down and kill them. So that's their their shtick. And there's also the the the, the trope or the story about you know uh, someone unwittingly getting infected and then you mm-hmm. know and they can be a very powerful figure, a king or a queen yes. or a, a, a emperor, you know, and then having to hide that. I mean, you, you alluded to that a little bit with the Baldur's Gate story. And that's like, that's basically the Baldur's Gate story. Uh, he was a um, a noble who would um, 
I think it was Baldur's Game. It might be Dag. I think it was Baldur's Game. Anyways, he was a, he was a noble that uh, would basically plan hunting trips during certain times of year, and oh. then you know the, the full moon, and he would go off and and hide at his hunting lodge out in the woods, mm-hmm. and um, and then. Uh, I getting two things confused. That might be two different things. There might be a, there might be a werewolf family that did that from Waterdeep, and then one from Baldur's Gate that went down and uh, and had because he did the one from Baldur's Gate actually tried to do a rebellion and take over the town, and in fact everybody with lycanthropy. Well, and just take over, but it failed, and then he had to run away. Ugh, there's too many werewolves. Um, so what, what you're getting at is that there's lots of ways, yeah, to, lots of ways to do it within your story, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, in thinking about um, where rats that I think is really fun is that you, we think of them as thieves and stuff like that. Uh, you know, like, maybe they don't like silver. So, like, the, one of the, the hints that your players can get that they've happened into where rats is that these all these robberies happen, but they leave behind the silver, right? Because right? that's the bad stuff they don't want to touch, you know. Or maybe they don't t- like it, so they pick it up and they huck it in the river or something like that. And so the, people are finding silver all over the place in random weird places. Well, that's a cool you idea. Know, and, and it turns out it's because were-rats are the ones who are doing this, this stealing of the stuff. And they're, they're disposing of the silver someplace where right. you know, they think it won't be found. There's ways to, to, yeah. to drop little hints of what's happening. Now, is all of them are affected by the, the moon? All the wares? Yes, yeah. I mean, certainly now in 5th edition where we have a more limited group of were-creatures. It's basically the ones from the um, the uh, Monster Manual, and I th- think were-ravens might have snuck into Ravenloft, but I'm not positive at this point. Okay. Um, and that's that's uh, that's the, the sort of main list. So Neat. I, I doubt we'll get into, you know, wear anything else at this point. I mean, jackal wares are still a thing there in the monster manual or Volo's got their monster manual. Yeah. Um, but, like, I doubt we'll get to wear snakes or, <laughs> you know, wear dragons anytime soon. Well, especially when, when you have creatures that already fill that niche yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know? I mean, Yonti and we have Rakshasa and, you know, we have all kinds of creatures that already, you know, occupy sort of that shape and look and, you know, yeah. and so on. But there is that idea of there being like a tragedy or like one that has been bitten or cursed and having to save them or, or, right. or embrace it. Like, I like that idea right. too. They're like, oh, you know, this is your curse. This is your people. You know, so integrating it and being like, all right, I, this is who I am. You know, I like that as well. Yeah. I think the, the one thing is that's weird is where bears has always been a bit weird in D&D because they're good and it, your transformation actually makes you more powerful. So, like, it's always been a bit of a struggle to explain why they, like, why isn't there the kingdom of werebears? Right. <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> why isn't there, like, all these natural werebears? And I think we, we kind of get around that by um, the, just with the idea that they're so solitary. Right. Mm. And so they, they don't. They don't form groups. They don't form groups. They don't, you know, do all that kind of stuff because yeah. they're, they're just naturally sort of solitary. So, yeah, I like that too. So you can encounter that as a good random encounter in a wood is to 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 meet with a a good inclined were creature and uh, find out about yeah. what makes that tick or being a good NPC or a quest giver that kind of thing. Yeah, and there's certainly that you know you can definitely have the idea that um, even with uh, if there if even with like the full moon and a an infected lycanthrop. Even if they're supposed to be good, they they still might have a sense of bloodlust or you know the need to feed and you know and that's so it's, it's probably not a great idea to hang out at the werebear's house when he's hungry when yeah. there's a full moon yeah. happening. <laughs> it's right. you know let, let's get out of here. Yeah. let's find some place else to stay. I mean that is I mean do you, do they there are some of them that lose control 
during those times, during their transportation? Yeah, definitely. I think that that's a story that people can play with because it's it's too much fun not to. I mean, if they're just somebody who has superpowers because and they can turn into a weird werebear person, it's a little bit less right. interesting then. But if there's some some drawback, it yeah. actually makes it more interesting and yeah. more compelling. Yeah, so concentrate on that. Um, wait, Greg, ask about the bitter do. What's the bitter do? The bitter do is not a were creature or a lycanthrope. The bitter do. Uh, oh no 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 no! I'm thinking of the umblebee. Sorry, that's different. Umblebee. Umblebee is different. The bitterdews um, are a set of werewolves that are associated with um, some Bob Salvatore novels uh, and this town of Longsaddle. Ah. So um, the Harples is a set of wizards that live outside the town of Longsaddle. Yeah. And Longsaddle, it's called Longsaddle. Uh, they're into horses a lot there. Uh, it's sort of like a little. It's like a little mini Wild West setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wizards are like the sheriffs in town. If mm. you kind of put it that way, right? Yeah. Because uh, they, they are the only sort of real force of law, and they're, they're sort of this powerful family of wizards. Well, uh, the Harples were this powerful family of wizards uh, until a bunch of them somehow got infected with lycanthropy and ended up running around in the woods. And so there, there are the bitterdews, which are the... What what are the called these werewolves that live out in the woods that are associated with the Harples and they're still sort of good, um, and they're still sort of part of the family. So are they still sort of wizards too? Uh, unclear, unclear. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and that stems from from characters in Bob's novels and sort of how that sort of evolved after Dritz was absent for a long period. He came and, and Caterbury and so on. So Caterbury comes back um, and learns about the bitter dues and not to be, 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 to be beware of them and stuff like that. And then she ends up interacting with some of the, the remaining Harples in the house and that kind of thing. So. Got it. Okay, cool. That makes uh, sense. Umblebees aren't like anthropes and they're, they don't, yeah, I was thinking of the Umblebee because it's such a ridiculous name like the bitter do. <laughs> and Umblebees are giant, um, fuzzy, Bigfoot-like creatures that attack you with static electricity. Oh, okay. So not lycanthropes at all? No. All right. Phew. That yeah. was close. Uh, but now I'm thinking of where bees. <laughs> There's no insects, as far as I can tell, uh, uh, in the lycanthropes, but uh, they kind of have to be warm-blooded. I feel yeah. like it's part of the part of the definition. I, I, I have a, a vague feeling that there might be some sort of like were wasp or something like that, but I, I'm not sure. I don't. I think we're probably safe. I think okay. we're safe from the were bees. Yeah, I was gonna say warm-blooded, but there are there are the the snakes, lizards, snakes, yeah, and yeah. things out there too. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a mammal. Yeah, but that, that I seem to think that if you got you know well yeah. whatever. All the ones that we now currently have in the Monster Manual are all <laughs> were mammals, right? Yes. Okay. That's where we're sticking to. <laughs> all right, that makes perfect sense. For that book. Yeah. There must be restrictions, as that uh, <laughs> dragon number 14 told us. Yep. All right. Uh, where can people ask you questions, uh, Mr. Matt Cernet? On Twitter, at Cernet, S-E-R-N-E-T-T. I love it. All right, cool. I'm at Greg Tito. Ask me anything you like about uh, the full moon and whether I howl out it. Out it? In it? During it. Howl out. I will howl out during the full moon. Uh, You stay thirsty, my friends. (laughs) That was a really good segment. I thought I really got uh, a lot of the lore that I was wanting to from that segment. I'm glad I asked all the questions I did. I mean, it's an unsung part of doing those segments, but me asking the questions is probably the most important part, right? <laughs> right, Ryan? <laughs> it's not the wealth of knowledge that uh, uh, Jeremy Crawford, Chris Perkins, and or Matt Cernet give. It's me, right? 
I mean, who they wouldn't even be a thing unless I was the one who was pulling all the information out of them, right? Like, it's not like there's a wealth of products with all that information in it that you could do all the research and look for it up on your own. No, it's no, actually, it's it's all them, you guys. They pretty much carry that. I'm just a distraction and a horrible person. But before that, uh, I'm going to call up uh, one of my favorite game developers who is from uh, Canada. I don't even know what's I think he's from Canada. We'll find out. Let's call up Fred uh, from Becom Studios right about now. Hello. Hey, you guys can hear me? Yes, we can hear you. How's it going, Fred? Going well, yourself? Good, man. Sorry we're late. It just seems to be, I should have let, warned you. We're always, we're always uh, not masters of time and or space. No worries. No worries, Greg. So no you're, you, where are you calling in from? I'm calling from, uh, from home, actually, in my garage. In your garage? Is it raining there? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it just started raining. I love it. Actually, it feels very Seattle-y. Uh, so maybe we're like kindred spirits uh, across the, the, the continent here. You're in, in Montreal, right? In Quebec City. Quebec City. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's nice over there right now, other than the rain? Uh, yeah, today was nice, but, you know, we're in the, we're slowly going into winter, so you can start to feel it. Yeah. So, Today was like uh, probably in Fahrenheit, probably around like 55, 50, in the 60s. Thank you for converting for us. No problem. <laughs> we, are, we are terrible uh, measurers of uh, length, uh, distance, and temperature. Yeah, we're we, we kind of pre- pretty, pretty much the same, but, you know, we, it's been uh, in Canada, you know, they, they, they had to, we still measure in... Uh, feet and foot as well. So we use both. Right, right. Um, so you uh, were basically the, the, the developer head for, for, for Tales from Canada Keep, right? Uh, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, how, is, how has it been the last, like, uh, week, right? Because it launched about uh, uh, what, October 11th, so it's only been about four or five days by the time when we're talking yeah. to you. Five days today. Uh, it, it's been – it's doing – Super good. We're so happy. Uh, we've been uh, featured by Steam during the weekend uh, in the banner. Uh, we're doing really strong in all the different categories, like board game, uh, RPG, adventure, and stuff like that. Uh, so nice. we're, we're so proud. We're, we're doing good. So this, uh, this uh, I, I don't know if a lot of people expected that we would be making a, uh, a digital uh, incarnation of the board game, uh, the Adventure Sister board games. What was the, uh, the, the impetus behind, behind you guys wanting to, to take this on and, and, and make this for, for the fans? Oh, we've, we've been, I've been, personally, I've been a fan of the board game myself for a while. That helps. I've been playing D&D for like uh, over 25 years now and more. Um, so it all started with discussion with you guys since, you know, as a company, we're doing works, uh, you know, from a web standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all started from the discussion we had with, uh, different folks at, at Watsi and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the opportunity came and we've jumped on it <laughs> literally. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys made it uh, uh, in what feels like record time, but it, it was a oh, long, yeah. it was a long process though, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been a long process going over the contract and all of that. But uh, once we were uh, set, uh, 
I think we've uh, it took took us like under six months to come up with the the digital version. Mm. So we were uh, definitely on on, on uh, really fast pace. <laughs> yeah, which is which is great for a game like this because I feel like it is uh, you know being agile and able to make something uh, that might fill a niche for folks at this time uh, was a big reason why uh, it, yes. it's, it's had the impact that it's had so far. Yeah, it's, uh, so far the reaction is great. Uh, people that know the adventure system uh, that actually uh, have played the board games, mm-hmm. they really love the version we did. Uh, only positive comments on, on that end. Um, you know, I think we've achieved what we wanted to achieve to begin with. Uh, we wanted to create a port of the board, the board game, but really provide that feeling that the player was actually jumping in mm-hmm. the board game. So he was kind of living through the action. So I think we've achieved that, and, uh, and we're super happy about it. That is cool. Uh, so for folks who may not know uh, how the adventure system works, uh, yeah, can you give like a quick like overview as to, as to, sure. as to what we mean by that? Sure. Uh, the adventure system is based on tiles, and you have uh, a bunch of tiles. And for each uh, adventure, you shuffle the before starting the game. You shuffle all these cards. That's the board game portion, mm-hmm. and you um, uncover the tiles, which you uh, can connect to each other as you discover more tiles. And each tile uh, provide uh, can provide different uh, encounters, monsters, and all of that. And at the end, of course, there's always a main goal. So there's always a, a but you never know when that goal is going to happen. Uh, so with with the digital version, it's pretty much the same. So, but everything's automated. So uh, all the rules are taken care of. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're taking care of all the rules for you. So you jump in. Um, you you have to explore. So if you don't explore a new time, of course you get more bad encounter because the, there's a kind of emergency mechanic in place which uh, you have to deal with. So if you choose to not explore a new time, of course you'll have to feel uh, to suffer uh, some encounters because that's really a game about exploring. So you need to discover more time in order to achieve your end goal, uh, which can be uh, defeat a specific boss or... Uh, collect different items and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's based on four phases. So you have the hero phase. And during the hero phase, you can do uh, two things. So it's either doing uh, do an action. An action can be uh, uh, attack or uh, not trigger. I'm searching for, searching for the right word. But uh, when there's a trap, you can uh, disarm. Get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. disarm. <laughs> you got it. Uh, That's all right. For, if, if you can't guess, uh, it's uh, English is Fred's second language. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Of course. And, and you know what? Good, uh, good story is uh, I've learned English. I'm fr- I'm from Quebec, so I, my first language is French. And uh, uh, I think beginning of the '80s, uh, my cousin got the basic Dungeons and Dragon, the Red Box. Uh-huh. So it was in English by default. <laughs> So that's when I really started to dig in more uh, into English language and learn a lot because uh, I wanted to play and we started to play. So I had the English dictionary next to me that oh, after no that way. I read books, novels and stuff like that. And that's why now I, 
and speaking a second language. That is super cool. You learned how to how to do uh, English through Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, uh, it's a, it's a big part of uh, me speaking English now. Uh, as yeah. a as a magic, you know. I love it. Well, I'm just going to say it's the entire part of it. You learned <laughs> all the way out of speaking English from from Dungeons and Dragons. Let's, like, I'm going to take credit for that. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Nice. Uh, so yeah. So so the adventure system. You you put down the tiles. Uh, uh, it's yes. a little bit like a more of a tactical kind of version of uh, Dungeons and Dragons play. Would you say that? Yes. 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 More tactical. Tactical. It's based on. You know, you, you need to uh, think ahead of your move. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, you know, since there are these stars, so you can uh, place your character at the right place. Uh, when adjacent characters, you can, you can buff uh, your friend. Um, there's also all of the portion about, you know, uh, the different encounters, how to avoid them. Uh, it's about being smart and, and, and uh, think ahead. So there's a little bit of chess in it, I would say. Yeah, yeah, a little bit because you're you're you. But except against playing against another player, you're playing against the rules a bit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's not that competitive aspect. Um, no. But it's also really interesting that I mean, you know, you, the the board game you can play by yourself, but the 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 digital version, Tales from Candlekeep, that you guys are making, um, is really uh, a great way for folks who love that. That style of tactical play and, and decision making, as far as what your 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 D and D character or party would do, um, to experience that kind of play by yourself and and, and go through it and replay all, all those scenarios. Oh yeah, that's definitely uh, exactly that's exactly what what we mean by that. We mean by that game. That's the uh, the goal. So uh, you can jump in, do a couple of quests, uh, and decide to. Instead of picking, uh, let's say, four characters to do your, your quest, you can try it with two characters, or you can just try to solo the game if you want, depending on how you feel. Of course, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, but that's, that's definitely something that's achievable, because that's achievable with the board game. Uh, there's also, uh, we're thinking uh, in the future, uh, to may, we might be able to do a co-op version, and you know, there's been talk also about multiplayer multiplayer version. Oh, that'd be cool, right? Yep. Um, but I think I cut you off when you started to talk about the phases, and that was kind of an important part yeah. of of Four of phases. how this game works. Uh, so that yeah, I just want the folks who are, who are listening to kind of understand. Like, you have the the hero phase you mentioned. What happens yeah. after the hero phase? Yeah, uh, but just. Uh, Let's go back to the hero phase for just to finish the hero phase. So you can do an action, uh, disarm trap, like like you kindly uh, helped me with, uh, <laughs> disarm trap, and uh, and do an attack. And then after that, once you're done, uh, you have the uh, discovery phase. So that's why you need to be next to a tile, the edge of a tile, to discover a new tile. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's not mandatory, but if you uh, if you don't discover a new tile, you automatically get an encounter. An encounter can be, uh, most of the time, the encounter will be uh, kind of negative. Uh, could yeah, be it'll a spawn a new power. monster or like a trap yeah. will go. A and... monster and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, like, it's like if you're in a, you know, it's like the, the D&D game. If you, you're, in, you're exploring a dungeon and you just... Uh, sit in, in a room 
at some point some something's gonna happen so yeah. that's, that's that's the same uh but of course uh in the in the board game version and board game version and digital version you get uh you get more of it uh so after the encounter phase the villain phase happens so all of the villains that are attached to the player uh, to the character that just played will attack and then you rinse and repeat for all of these phases for each of the characters mm. Right, so, so that's, that's about it. That summarizes the four phases. Yeah, and that makes it uh, what I think uh, folks may not get from there if you've never played any of these adventure system games is that when you get to the edge of the the map, you put down a new tile and it may spawn a monster on that tile, and then that is attached to you. So, uh, yeah. uh, in in the in the physical board game, you would end up controlling that monster, and you follow the rules of uh, what's laid out on their on their monster card or how they would react so you know they attack the nearest person or whatever like they just there's like a little bit of an AI of, of how they work but the cool thing about what Tales from Candlekeep does is that it takes care of all of that for you so I, I think you mentioned it, oh, like, yeah. it, it all of it is, is automatic and you just have to worry about the fun decisions that you need to make exactly that's that's greatly said <laughs> so, yeah Nice. I'll just I'll just do this myself. No, I'm just <laughs> so uh, so. Why don't we talk about the uh, the characters that you can play uh, in in the game? What are the they're 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 pretty evocative for as far as what is happening in, oh, in Tomb yeah. of Annihilation. Oh, yeah. Currently in the game, we have four characters, and uh, as soon as we can, we're going to uh, add one more because the physical ber- ber- version of the board game come uh, with comes with five characters. Mm-hmm. In the digital version, we we started with four. So we have Artus Simber, who's a former member of the Arpers. Yeah, he's a good guy, owner of the uh, Ring of Winter. Yeah, he's a ranger, uh, and he's really badass. Yeah. So, and he's the owner, yeah, of the the Ring of Winter. We have talked. About, I feel like we've talked about him on the 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 Lore You Should Know podcast at least like twice, maybe not three times, uh, uh, because he's also in this the League of Star Wolf, Stalwart Adventurers uh, or some Order of Stalwart Adventurers. Uh, he was a big part of that as well. Uh, so yeah, a big part of okay. uh, Dungeons and Dragons lore as artist Simber. Oh yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, I think he used to be a Harper, but yeah, so yeah. He's, he's everywhere. Uh, That's right. So, uh, Next is a uh, we have a mage. Um, her name her name is Ashara. She's uh, she's uh, she's 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 an Arakokra. 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 Yeah, that's yeah, that's. Uh, there you go. Yeah, looks like you got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I think I'm not sure though, but I need to validate that. But I think they're. At least there's a there's a village of uh, Arakokra in uh, in Shul. That's right. Yeah, and they're they're kind of I the uh, the adversaries of the terror folk. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's that's exactly that. But I don't know if they're native for from Shul. That's what. No, they're that. not. They're not. I don't think they're native. I think they they uh, uh, moved there, but they there are a big okay, part of it. Right. Yeah, and they're they're in other parts of the world, but uh, they definitely have a contingent in Shul. Uh, and Chris Dupuis told me this, uh, and I, I haven't played a lot with her yet in Tales from Candlekeep, but that she can fly over the traps. Is that true? Yeah, she uh, oh. has the power of flying over the traps. Because she's a bird person. A good, a good tip in the game, if you want to do a chess run and get lots of chess, treasure chess, because most of the time the treasure chests are surrounded by traps. Yeah. So 
you know, you don't make it easy. Uh, using a shara, you can just fly uh, over the trap and just land right next to the chest and grab the chest. That is great. I'm, I'm going to start using that a lot more because the chests oh, yeah. are super hard. And, and also use a fire shield. So this way, a shara kind of transforms into a tank as well. Oh, so, nice. I didn't know that. That's my combo, my favorite combo. That's your combo? Yeah, see, the, the, the hard part about the traps and the chests is that the economy of actions is so important. And yes. if, you know, if you're not attacking a monster or killing a monster off, uh, you know, spending your turn disarming the trap and then opening the chest is like basically two turns that you're not killing monsters. And that can be enough to, to make it really hard. Yes, you're, you're totally right. So you, you really uh, need... Yeah, you know, sometimes it's really worth it when when you see a mythic chess, for instance. Mm. So uh, yeah, sometimes it's it. But if you go for every single chess you encounter, uh, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to finish the quest. Yeah, even on the easier levels, it's still very yeah. tough. Yeah, you got to pick and choose. Yeah. All right. So what are the other characters? Uh, yeah, we have Dragon Bait, uh, Sorial Paladin. I think. Uh, uh, Started hearing about Dragon Bay reading uh, a novel. Uh, I think it was Azure Bonds. I'm not even sure, but mm-hmm. uh, he's a Sorial Paladin. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's really good, by the way. He's, uh, he's AC. Uh, he's got the best AC and uh, HP, uh, and also his special ability is super handy. It's uh, Divine Health. So at the start uh, of Dragon Bay's hero phase, uh, you you may end one condition mm-hmm. on Dragon Bait before you activate. So most, you know, sometimes the encounter will stun you or the monster will apply a stun effect on you or a uh, bleeding effect and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But with Dragon Bait, uh, you know, at the beginning of your turn, you just get rid of one uh, debuff on you. Nice. Which, which is really helpful. Especially in a game have, like this, which has a lot of debuffs that get on you. Yes. <laughs> Right, uh, and then we have bird song, which is a tabaxi bard. Mm. So uh, it's uh, I know people were uh, really uh, delighted when uh, they heard that we had a bard in the game. So uh, the, uh, bird song is uh, of course uh, she's super agile. She's uh, tabaxi, so she of course got some special ability uh so when she's stepping onto a trap square birdsong does not trigger the trap on a roll of five or higher those are great agility oh and also one of the great power i would say one of her best asset is she can heal the group while singing so she has uh that power that can provide healing to each of the members of the group if they're on the same tile. So that's really strong. Yeah. It's a great asset. And if you bring Birdsong along in your party, uh, you get the chance to get more gold and discover more magical items as well. That makes sense. She's a bard. She's got... She's uh, And the tabaxi are always searching for, for shiny things. Yeah, look like. She's... Uh, She's really good at it, and you definitely need her if you want to, you know, at some point you need to craft that. Because one, one aspect of the digital game is uh, that we have a crafting system. That's right. Yeah, that's different from the board game. And we also have uh, 
uh, another uh, twist. We've added another twist to the game, which is adrenaline. So adrenaline, uh, as you kill monsters, you get a little bit of adrenaline each time. And adrenaline, it helps you out uh, when you want to get rid of Encounter. It acts like a dispel magic. We've uh, added that mechanic because, uh, you know, for pacing reason. Mm. So at some point, you know, you want to progress a little bit faster when you're playing in digital. So uh, it was a good uh, opportunity for us uh, to have that mechanic. So far, people love it. Uh, that that can become really helpful when you're fighting uh, uh, boss fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a good way to do You bank up the adrenaline so that you don't have to discover new tiles in order to avoid getting encounter cards, uh, uh, which, you know, yeah. Spring boss fight, when you don't have that, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, harder to discover multi and get more enemies on you. For so sure. That, that's definitely something that would suggest. I was trying to defeat the, uh, the Goralin, and that I had to kept, keep on like trying to explore new new tiles while I was doing that. And then all of a sudden there ended up being, I mean, it was surrounded with, by, by folks. And so, yeah, I mean, what, what, what people may not get from us talking about that is that this is, it ends up being a pretty difficult game, even at the earlier levels uh, and earlier uh, uh, difficulty levels. Cause you can play at three difficulty levels. Is that right? You can play each scenario yes. at, at three different right. levels. Yeah. You yeah. Are, you can play at normal art and horrific. And there's a progression in the game. You mentioned the crafting, but maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. But like, as you as you get more and more stuff, you can get more and more powerful items, which makes the more difficult dif- uh, difficult power levels that you're playing at uh, difficulty levels uh, easier, right? So like, it's it's like yes. a, oh, you get you get stronger, so therefore you can tack on more challenges. Yeah, totally. So. Uh, the first three quests in normal mode, uh, we had to tweak them a little bit so that so the player can just you know because usually when you play a board game you read through the rules and then you start slowly and but in the digital version uh, we had to create that kind of ramping up uh, so the three first quests are a little bit easier than the the board game, mm. just so people can learn all of the different phases, the, the game sequence, and uh, uh, learn a little bit more about the game itself and the rules. And then after that, it starts for real. Um, so what we've added to the game uh, to help players, because uh, the game is, of course, it's tough. Uh, as, but as you master the game, it becomes a way easier when you understand all the, the all the tricks that you can do and all the rules. Mm-hmm. So it flows way more uh, way more easily. But uh, of course, when you start, it, it can look really tough. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so far people loved it, and even if we're saying, "Hey, we can tweak that, make it more easy," uh, we're getting a lot of people saying, "No, don't do anything." So right, <laughs> look like they like it that yeah. way. Well, it's less about making it easier and more giving folks uh, a chance to learn the mechanics. You know, yes. obviously the tutorial does a really great job at that, like the tutorial quest. Um, yeah. But if you're unfamiliar, I mean, I came in already knowing how to play the adventure system game, so uh, it was not uh, much of a, a curve to learn how to do this digitally. But for folks who are not familiar with either the board game or uh, uh, this kind of style of, of uh, video game, um, 
yeah, I feel like you just need you need to just introduce new challenges slower, uh, slowly, so that yeah. people don't feel like oh, I'm just being onslaught right away. Yeah, we've provided that curve, so I think it's looking good so far. Uh, crafting. Let's go back to crafting. Yeah, let's go back to crafting. Um, crafting. The way it works in the game is when you get all of these chests. We wanted to provide the players with a way to customize their character a little bit, so they f so they feel like they're empowered uh, to do something with uh, with their characters mm -hmm. uh, and make them the way they like. So what we've added is, uh, as you progress into the different quests, you get rewards, and, and of course, when you pick up chests, uh, you get different rewards, uh, and all of these rewards are uh, associated to crafting material. So they're all, it could be leather, it could be uh, diamonds, uh, gems, and metals, wood, etc., different kind. And they also have, uh, they can be uh, common and common, rare, very rare, and legendary. And with these material, uh, you can craft uh, main weapons, secondary weapon, armors, accessories uh, to your character and add them to your character. So uh, the way it works is, uh, you know, secondary weapon are associated with daily powers. So they had plus one, plus two, plus three, up to plus five. Same for main weapons. Main weapons um, add plus one to five to at will powers. Uh, also armor, of course, add plus one to five to armor class any points. And accessories are related, depending on the characters, they're related, related to speed, gold for uh, birdsong, for instance. So if you, level, you craft a uh, uh, new loot for uh, birdsong, you can get up to 50% more gold uh, when questing with Earth. So that's, that's really something you guys need to know. Yeah, that is good. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, these are tweaked because these are different from, uh, you know, from the crafting system, we're really uh, differing from, uh, from the board game version. Right, and that was introduced in a way to continue replaying after. So there's, there's, like, yes. there's like 12 scenarios in the, in the board game, is that right? Uh, I think, yes, uh, 12 or 13. And you guys have all those... Uh, Oh yeah, we have uh, up to we. I think we're over thirty quests total. Right, because we, we have, have also side, side quests. quests, right? And we have the the main quest, which uh, I think we have one, two, three. Yeah, that looked like thirteen to me. That's amazing. All right, so that's so you you can play all of that uh, uh, content, which is not necessarily in the board game itself, uh, at, at all three of the difficulty levels. So they almost become yes. like. You know, uh, uh, that number 30 times 3, 90 different kind of progression that you can go uh, up for it. So that was, I, I assume that was all designed for, for replayability so that people could yes. continue to play as long as they wanted. Yes, it is, different, definitely. Uh, so far, we've, uh, we've had people uh, uh, play the game through in normal mode. Uh, it takes around, the average is 20 hours just for one run. Let's say you, you do you complete all quests once. It, it's the average is in, in between twenty hours and twenty four hours. Mm -hmm. So that's just normal mode. And then after that, you can go back and try at art and uh, horrific. Currently, I did I did them all at, in all all of the modes. Uh, I'm still struggling with 
with the the last quest yeah. uh, uh, at Oratric. It's it, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough, and I've played like over a hundred hundred uh, hours. Oh my gosh, some yeah. of the, some of the to uh, aspire to, right? Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so, yeah, uh, a couple of things I just want to mention. Uh, we'll probably end up cutting this out of the podcast itself. Uh, but uh, uh, if you're here for Forest Gray, Lost City of Omu, we'll be starting in just a couple minutes. We're talking now to Fred Tremblay uh, from Becom Studio about Tales from Candlekeep, Tomb of Annihilation, which is out on Steam right now. I uh, just want to say thanks to Wolfbane4 for subbing in the chat. Thank you, dude. Three months. I can't believe it. It has gone by super fast. Uh, and not Jez. You say make a D and D adventure system game that can be played over a campaign system with a multi session narrative. Uh, I want to say Tomb of Annihilation kind of does that, right? There's definitely like a a progression. Uh, you can level up, and then, and then uh, uh, the one before this, uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, also had that kind of progression where the story uh, uh, goes over time and and kind of tries to model what a, what a campaign would be. I don't think it's as robust as you might be thinking, but it, it's kind of there, right, Fred? Yeah, it's kind of there, and also there are plans. Yeah, you level up as a player, mm-hmm. so that's definitely something uh, that we should mention. Yeah. So instead instead of leveling up the characters, like in the board game, you can level up once per game. Uh, so starting from I don't know level one to two. Yeah. Uh, but in in the digital version, instead of leveling up the characters, we've added the crafting system, but also we have a level up a level system for the player. So when, what I mean what I mean by the player is uh, the person playing the game right. levels up. So uh, this way you get access to more characters. So you start only with one, and then after that you unlock the second one, third one, fourth one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also each time you level up, you get crafting material and rewards. So that's uh, that really provides uh, and it's infinite. You can level up as much as you want. Wow. Uh, each time you get a crafting material, and there are specific levels where you get, uh, you know, instead of getting a common chest, you can get a, a super rare chest. Uh, so that's, and, and you can always see uh, what you're going to get next. So that's an incentive to play more. Nice. And also thinking about, you never know what the future is gonna gonna provide you with, but. Uh, we would love to do all of the previous title so we can link them all together, like Legends of Dritz and uh, uh, Wrath of Ashalon and all of, all of these great titles. Oh, wow. So you want to do the other Adventure System games in this, oh, in this framework? God, yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that we'd love to do. Uh, oh the game God. looked like it's going to be a success. We'll, we'll give it a little bit more time. And then after that, uh, you know, we'll definitely uh, start thinking about what's next. That is super cool. So you could do, you know, Castle Ravenloft and and, and yeah. all of them. Yeah, Temple uh, Temple of Elemental Evil was the other. So yeah, this is the fifth adventure system game that's available. So yeah, if you could tie them all together, what yeah, that'd yeah, be crazy. Lots of material to work with. Yeah, for real. Yeah, and yeah, it, you can play. Yeah, let's say you love uh, Dritz Duorden. You can play Dritz in Tomb of Horror and play. Uh, Arthur Simber in Temple of the Mental Evil. Right. Oh, yeah. That'd be really cool to be able to pull the player or the, the characters from, from each one of those and play them in different as well as just... Mix them together. Even yeah. just having like a randomizer, you know, like having like, all right, just do a random yeah. scenario with a random tiles, random monsters, yeah. random heroes. Like that'd be super fun too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, great. Well, guys, you got to go out there and 
buy this game, uh, make it a success, and we'll we'll add more stuff to it for sure. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so far, so good. Oh, we uh, really do appreciate if ever you buy the game. Uh, it's uh, actually uh, currently uh, we have a fifteen percent off, and comes at I think it's like thirteen something. Oh wow, month. really? Great. I didn't no, realize it's, it's on it's sale right now. Uh, affordable, and uh, and leave us a good review. Sure, or a bad one, if that's what you really think. But don't do that because yeah, that's, that's yeah. If that's really what you think, <laughs> please do because we're listening. Uh, our community hub is super active. Uh, you know, we keep listening to you guys, and if there are fixes that we that needs to be done, we're super quick. We already did uh, two patches. The game is super stable. We don't have any complaints on that point. Right. But still making some, some tweaks here and there and adjustment as, as per your request, actually, and the feedback we're getting. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, so you're listening to the fans, just like we did with the, yes. uh, the, the fifth edition playtest. Uh, exactly. D&D Next. That makes total sense. You know what's cool about that, too, is that, you know, you, with you having this be a board game in digital form, you can, you know, change things up way more easier than you can with a physical game, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something we want to we wanna put forward. You know, the board game, at some points, you have to print everything, but with the digital version, you know, we can always update, you know, super easily. Yeah. Add new quests, add things like that. That might be yes. fun, too. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, it sounds like you guys got a lot of uh, uh, hopes and plans uh, for this, this system. I think it, it's a great out-of-the-gate right now, and I hope people will start checking it out. I mean, it's only been out a week or so, less than a week, really. Uh, so uh, uh, the buzz has been, been been totally good, and I hope uh, hope more people check it out. I hope so. Where can people find good. out? Where can people find out about you know the game? What you what you're doing? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The game's on Steam. So uh, if you go on the Steam store, we're currently on the front page in the new release. You can see us there. Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, Takes from Canada Key. Tomb of Annihilation. You see the D and D logo, um, and uh, you know we have a website. Uh, which is uh, tagesfromcanadakey.com and also on Facebook, same thing. So you can uh, go and uh, look up our Facebook page. We're super active. We do a lot of uh, uh, giveaways there and of course YouTube and we're uh, also you guys, we're we're also on Twitch and I think you guys are hosting us. I think, I'm not sure, next Thursday Thursday, and I think tomorrow uh, there's going to be a, uh, a Twitch with Chris Dupree from Wizard. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, the game there. So yeah, that's tomorrow, the seventeenth uh, at uh, two p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Chris Dupree will be talking with Bart Carroll, doing a, a demonstration of the game itself, and you guys have been doing. Uh, demonstrations uh, with you and is it Sophie? Uh, yeah, Sophie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, look for those. We and you're right. We have been hosting them here. I think we did them on Thursday, and you might might be doing it on Friday at 5 p.m. today. Yeah, at this, this week, Friday for sure. Yeah. Uh, so what's what's the Twitch channel? Is it? Uh, it it's Tales from Camel Keep. It's Tales from Camel Keep too. I like how you guys kept that kept that through all the way. Yeah. Uh, Makes perfect sense. And with us, uh, we just did a lore you should know on Candlekeep in general, so you guys know why you picked that name. It's uh, 
everybody knows all about little bits of, of lore in the Forgotten Realms. They would go to Candlekeep to find it. And it's a good hub for these adventure system games, which are, you know, fourth edition kind of rules with Tomb of Annihilation, as well as Castle Ravenloft, Legend of Drifts, Wrath of a Shardalon, which is, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think it's even in any of the D&D uh, uh, multiverse universes, uh, as well as um, uh, the Legend of Drift itself. So, yeah, it's fun. It, co- it comes from all over, right? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, yeah, Taste of Galaxy is a great name. Uh, it, they, they, the stories are coming from all over, like you said. So uh, I think that's definitely something that matches uh, the, the spirit. Right. Cool. Uh, Wolfos in the chat, uh, it's at, uh, we just were talking about where you can find it, but talesfromcandlekeep.com. Uh, you can find out the best, uh, but it's also on Steam. Just search for Tales from Candlekeep might be the best way to find it there. Uh, all right, well, cool. Thanks so much, Fred, for calling in. Uh, thankful for the rain to give this nice little soothing background for this conversation. It, was, it yeah, ended up being perfect. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, you're the best. I loved it. Actually, no, I had people in the chat were, were really excited about it, too. So uh, it was good stuff. And, uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be checking in with you uh, uh, over the course of the next uh, few months, I'm sure, on how this, uh, this game is doing and what you guys got coming down the pipe. Thank you, Greg. All right. Take it easy. All right, have a good one. Bye. Bye, Fred. I love that Fred. He's a good guy. Uh, uh, I I, I hung out with him in uh, uh, Providence for Hascon, and uh, yeah, good uh, good people. Um, And uh, really passionate about Dungeons & Dragons, loves uh, the game. Oh, I didn't even really get to pick his brain too much, uh, other than the fact that he used Dungeons & Dragons to learn how to speak English. Uh, about his experiences, but he's got he's been playing for a long, long time um, and, and really loves it. So, yes, he is French Greg. <laughs> uh, we'll call him that from now on. Uh, so, yeah, you heard it. Uh, he's uh, going to be doing more demos of this on our Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash dnd. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, there is a lots of great content there, including uh, board game stuff, uh, video game stuff, and, of course, Dungeons the Dragons lore and uh, deep dives into all kinds of fun things, including live play. Uh, so go check that out. We record Dragon Talk Lives on Monday. Uh, Dragon, Talk, Dragon Talk Lives. <laughs> Dragon Talk lives. Uh, it's uh, Monday, 2 p.m. Pacific time, between 2 and 5 p.m. Generally, before we throw it to Forest Gray, Lost City, Omu, which I'm about to do right about now for those of you who are tuning in for that. Uh, all right. I am Greg Tito. You can follow me at Greg Tito on Twitter. I also uh, love to talk about Dungeons and Dragons at Wizards underscore DND. Uh, or you can find out anything about Dungeons and Dragons at DungeonsandDragons.com or DragonMag.com. Uh, and uh, you'll find out all the amazing things that are going on in this world. Uh, I've been talking about this stuff for about three hours now. I think I'm done. I think I'm done, Ryan. I think we're going to close this mother out. Uh, You guys are the best. Again, we got lots of fun things going on here on the Twitch channel. We will continue to be throwing it to you as it's going on, Uh, but that's it for this episode of Dragon Talk, and uh, we're going to say goodbye today.